This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to a new interview on New Books Network. I am Carmen Gomez Galisteo, and I have the pleasure today to have here with me Brian Daldorf, who is the author of Words is a Powerful Thing, 20 Years of Teaching Creative Writing at Douglas County Jail, published by the University Press of, of Kansas. So welcome, Brian, and thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Can you please tell us what the, the book is, is about and why the title? Because that is something you, you explain in the book, why why the title. And, you know, I've been teaching English as a foreign language uh, for, for a long time. And, and the title is striking because it's worse. It's a powerful thing. So that is something that I would say to, to my students. Make sure that your, your uh, noun and verb are in agreement. So what is the book about? Why the title? So the book is about a creative writing class I taught at the Douglas County Jail, which is a jail just on the edge of the town I live in, Lawrence, Kansas, right in the middle of the United States. And I taught the class there for 20 years between the years 2001 and 2021. And it's a creative writing class for incarcerated writers at the jail who have the opportunity to do their own writing there. And the title of the book that you asked about, I took that from the title of a poem of written by one of the writers in the class. And that was the way that he wrote the title. And that was correct for his dialect. And I just thought that the title should tie in with one of the voices from the jail class. And I agree with you that it does catch the eye because it's not grammatically correct, but I think there's a lot of feeling in it, which I really wanted to express in the title of the book. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And it is a kind of thing I, I tell my, my students that uh, native speakers can get away with other things that maybe because we are not native, we cannot make those those mistakes or speak so colloquially. So uh, you, you start the book by saying that your last class there was in March 2020 before the before the, the lockdown. And you say that at the time you were writing those, those lines in August 2020, you hadn't been back yet. Uh, have classes already resumed? And if so, how has COVID changed uh, classes? So the classes have not resumed in the two years since they ended. That was March 2021 when we were um, in the class for the last time. And at first it was because of COVID, because they were very careful about reopening the jail to any outsider because of course COVID was very dangerous in the situation of a lot of people being together. So for about the first year we were not allowed back in because of COVID, concerns about COVID, but then since then we have not been able to start the class again because there has been a shortage of corrections officers at jails and prisons throughout Kansas, really throughout the United States. And therefore, the jail where I taught, they cut right back on the programs. And so we have not been allowed to go back into the jail to teach the class. And um, do, do you think that this shortage is going to be solved soon and you will be back or that is anybody's guess? Actually, unfortunately, I think it's quite unlikely um, because um, the job of a corrections officer is a tough job. Not many people want to do it. Um, as you know, there's other work available at the moment. The job situation is quite good. So they just find it very hard to get people to do this job. And therefore, they've cut back on some of the things that they can cut back on, like the programs in the jail. So I wish I could give you a more positive answer, but that's out of my hands, really. Yeah, and, and it is sad because that is something that that is something that you mentioned in in the book that it is very productive and it is very very useful for the inmates. So it is a a pity that this cannot be resumed because with everything with COVID, uh, the job situation and 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 everything. So I am sorry to hear that that classes haven't resumed and it doesn't look likely that they are because. It, it was it, it is a wonderful experience from what you say in the in the book so what what were your feelings upon entering the 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 prison did you get a lot of concern from friends and family about your safety teaching there in in in, in a prison because uh, i used to teach at the at the UNED, which is like the this sounds uh, open university in spain and well they offer classes at uh, in, in in prison and it is something that i knew existed but i never asked how you could do it or how you could apply or whatever because it never entered my 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 mind even to to go there uh, for examinations to to watch the, the the exams and everything I, I I never never thought about about that um well I think that going into prison has has to be concerning for for your family and for instance a friend of mine she was teaching in a very deprived neighborhood really really bad reputation this neighborhood and we were horrified we were like why do you choose to, to teach there and um, so what, what did people tell you well I was really drawn to the challenge of doing this and I felt like it was really important work and 
so therefore I really wanted to do it. And I mean, I have done other things in my life which were kind of adventurous and risk-taking because I thought that they were important things and things that I really wanted to do. So my family has sort of known me to do this before. But when I when I got into the program and began teaching every week, then it was just something that I wanted to do so much that I was quite willing to to work in that situation. And it it is a tense situation. I think any jail or prison, there's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of people packed together. There are some people in there who are, you know, can be quite difficult to work with. But I think because the work was so important to me and it seemed like it was it was really helping people to be in this class that I just wanted to keep doing it. And I just, if I could, I'd just like to read something from the book that kind of ties in with this question. So this this is just a short passage, but it describes teaching the class for the first time and my feelings in doing that. And I thought that this would be, this would kind of illustrate what it feels like to go into a class like this. I first taught the creative writing class at Douglas County Jail on Christmas Eve 2001. In the jail, in a spacious, well-lit classroom with small rectangular windows with a single bar down the middle, programs director Mike Karen gave me a small plastic control box with a red button and told me to hit the button if I needed any help during class. He called it a panic button and smiled. I sat in the classroom and waited for him to return with my inmate students. What had I gotten myself into this time? So that was my experience of teaching the first class. But then when I got into it and I got to know the guys and I got to know my way around the jail, and I did feel quite confident there for the most part, although you can't really foresee everything that will happen. But again, because the work was so important to me, I just wanted to keep doing it. Uh, yeah, because uh, well, the, the first time you, you meet a group for the first time, you, you I, I feel nervous and excited, and and well, you, you don't know how it is going to go. But well, if uh, at the beginning of the of the class they give you a panic button, wow, you say, oh my god, uh, I hope I don't, I don't need to to use it. But well. Uh, Apart from the usual nerves of being the first day, my first class with this group, well, if, if they are already giving you the panic button, you, you know that this this goes for, for real. Yes, that's right. And, you know, that is something that you have to that you have to be prepared for when you teach in a situation like this. But when I met the the writers for the first time, they were serious about what they were doing. They appreciated somebody coming in to do it. And I felt, honestly, I felt pretty comfortable there. I felt like they wanted me there. I felt like I could do something good. And that was my first experience. And I just kept going back after that until until COVID, of course. And uh, what do you think that the, that the classes have brought to the to the lives of the of the students? What impact ha- uh, have the classes had? I think I think there's a lot of different things. I mean, I think on one level, the experience of incarceration is a very boring experience. You have to just spend a lot of time just sitting there waiting for things to happen. And I do think that 
one thing we did was just to give the incarcerated writers something to do, a place to go. So that was important. We had a lot of writers who were really serious about what they were doing, and they realized that writing gave them the opportunity to think about their lives and their experience and try to come to terms with that and try to sort of move on from the places that they were. And they really appreciated that. So that that was something that I think a lot of the writers got out of that. And the class kind of gave them a focus for doing that. And it gave them the opportunity to present their work to other people and get feedback on it. And for the most part, the other writers in the class were very pleased to have people to work with on this. And I think that um, we just built up a really good spirit in the class, a sort of supportive spirit so that if somebody read something about some tough experience, then other people would be sympathetic and be supportive. And that was really important in a pretty sort of bleak situation for, for most of the guys in there. Well, that is really encouraging that, you know, that they appreciate your coming and they're being there because sometimes it happens when when we are teaching in conventional places that uh, sometimes my students, you, you see that they don't really want to be there. They would prefer to be uh, at another place. They are there because attendance is compulsory or attendance is part of the of the final mark. So what it is a, a difference that they really want to, to be there and they are appreciative of, of everything. What kind of students are, are they? Are day what are they like because uh, you you mentioned in, in the book that they are more engaged they are more responsive than our regular undergraduate students well i mean of course because i worked with literally thousands of different students it's a little bit difficult to generalize on that but um i think to some extent i can um i think that their kind of interest in the class they're sort of excitement in doing this was was because that for many of the students in the class it was really their first experience doing something like this and they realized how positive it was uh, how much they were enjoying it and I think because they were in a pretty bad situation in their lives I mean it's just a really tough experience to be incarcerated for whatever reason, I think because of that, they were looking for positive experiences in their lives and they felt like the class was something like that for them. And so therefore, they tried to make the most of it. And the point that I made in the book is that when I teach in the university, for the most part, the students are doing pretty well in their lives. I mean, they're at college. Most of them are enjoying the experience and they've got a lot of good things happening for them. And therefore, one class is important, but it's not as kind of vital as the class in the jail seemed to be to a lot of the guys in there who really wanted to make the most of it and get something out of it, you know? And uh, how has your teaching there uh, has has uh, changed the way you teach at, at university? What are the things that um, you have brought with you after this experience? 
Well, I think one thing I was able to do with the class at the jail, because I was I was doing it so often. I mean, I was teaching literally every week. I mean, we didn't really take a break. We just went there every week to teach. So, I mean, I could try out a lot of different things there. And if they worked well, then I could do them in the uh, college classroom too. Uh, so that was that was important. And I just got used to working with a lot of different people. Uh, and that that too was useful for uh, teaching in college. I mean, some of the guys that I worked with at the jail obviously had pretty serious problems. And yet I was able to find a way to work with them. And so I think it just gave me a kind of deeper experience. And it also made me realize that um, the sort of work that you're doing in a class like this is not just like taking a regular class because you're kind of putting more of yourself into it. And I just realized that this is a really important class and I really wanted to do it as well as possible and to be as kind of helpful and productive as possible with all of the writers that I had in the class. And I think I've carried that over to my um, university teaching experience. And I've tried to kind of understand each student and what the student is trying to get out of the class and, and trying to be as helpful as possible in enabling the student to to get to wherever they're going with, with their writing. In chapter three, you you, you mentioned uh, literature of uh, of jails and, and prisons, and how can we define that as as a genre? Because, for instance, if you think about it, uh, Cervantes also wrote uh, Don Quixote as in, in, when he was in prison, but we wouldn't characterize that as prison literature. So, how can we define or characterize what uh, literature of, of of jails is? Yes, I I think that's a very good question, and. I mean, I, I think there would be quite a lot of dispute about that because some books written in jail, as you say, are not really considered to be jail literature. In the uh, chapter that I wrote about this for the book, I was trying to set what I did within a kind of broader context of prison writing. And so in that, I looked at some of the uh, sort of best known prison texts from um, Malcolm X, um, Martin Luther King, and others. And I looked at um, anthologies and um, other writers too. And I think that for me, the I would try to define this genre as not only being writing in prison, but to some extent, sometimes a great extent, writing that involves the prison experience. And I think that's really what I focused on in that chapter to try to kind of contextualize what I was doing in the class that I taught here. And um, well, something that, that you have mentioned now and you also emphasize in, in the book a lot is how important these, these classes really are for inmates and what a difference uh, they, they make in their, in, their, in their lives. And what about the literary value of, of, the, of the poems? How would you define this uh, literary quality that these poems may have? Yes, again, that's a really good question because I think sometimes people can be interested in a particular genre of writing, like, say, war literature, because it's war literature and not because it's 
sort of good literature. But I think that one of the reasons why I was so interested in working with these writers and then in trying to kind of promote their work was because I thought that it was just really good literature as well. I thought that um, by, you know, by a, a set of standards that I think most people would agree on, the writing was really good. It was um, powerful. It was carefully written. It um, used some of the conventions of poetry and language that we consider to be important. It was all of those things. And also, I think one of the sort of key factors in all of this was that it just had this kind of emotional power to it that I felt from the first day in class to the last. I mean, I think that the writers in the class were really trying to say something that was important to them. And that got my attention. And just to follow up on this, I just wanted to read a few quotations from some of the poems that I used in in the book, which I think is just really powerful literature. So I'll just read uh, three or four of these. They're just brief quotations from the poems. When you arrive, read the sign. Leave all hopes and dreams behind. Forget all you have or had in the free world. It no longer matters. It will only distract you and you'll become prey to the lions in this jungle. Trust no one. Everyone is out for something in this cutthroat society. After so long in here and so many hours upon days upon weeks locked in a cell, the more claustrophobic I've become. It's a mental challenge every time I step through that door and they think I'm trying to be defiant. I watch as time slowly chews away on men's sanity where confusion reigns supreme. And then just one more. I fail at most everything until my pen unwinds. Words unveil through mists of time in my mind. I may not shine or even get what's mine, but when these words come together, they're one of a kind my little mark in the world. And I was reading and hearing poetry like that week after week. And again, I didn't think of it as just being jail poetry. I just thought of it as being a really powerful expression of somebody's emotions and describing their important experiences. And uh, do, do your students want to, to be published, like many aspiring writers? Do you think that is something that really interests them, uh, getting published and uh, becoming famous? Or, or no, the, the most important thing for them is to enjoy the, the class and um, being published is an afterthought? I think it's both things, because in the class, what most of the writers wanted when we were in the class was positive feedback from the class. They wanted to present their work to the class and they wanted other people in the class to appreciate what they'd done. That was the most important thing. That was immediate. That was right on the line. So there was that. But then they were interested too in other people hearing their work. And so when I talked to them about writing this book and I'd written I'd written a previous book while I edited it um, and it 
it featured poems from from the class, an anthology of poetry from the class, and my students were really proud of it because they could see their names in a book and. Honestly, most of them never, never thought that they would do that. They never thought that anybody, anybody would be interested enough in their stories to publish them uh, in a book like that. I think um, one kind of misconception they had is that if you get a book published, then you're famous. And as you know, and, and I know, it's not like that. I mean, the percentage of famous writers is about what, less than 1% really of people who write. And and so I think they had a kind of misconception about that. But no, for the most part, they were really pleased that somebody was interested in their work and thought that it had a kind of merit so that other people would be interested in it too. And when, when you chose the, the, the poems in, in this book, was, was it difficult for you to choose uh, which ones to include, which ones to, to leave out? Because your students are writing like a lot. So uh, what was the define, the selection criteria? Why did you choose ones and not the, the, not the, not the others? And did somebody feel uh, hurt because maybe his poems didn't make it to, to the book? So that's another good question. In, in the book, I, I quote from about 50 different writers in the class, uh, five zero, 50 different writers in the class, and it could have been uh, many more than that. So, of course, I had to be selective. When I, when I had the idea for the book, which was about 2017 or something like that, I definitely knew that there would be some writers that I would include because they were they were really good and they'd stood out in the class. And so I went back to their work and I knew that I wanted to include that in some way. But then I thought that I should look through everything else that had been written in the class. So one of the early things I did in writing the book was to read through all of the files of poems from teaching the class for For many years before that, I just read through everything. And then that kind of reminded me of some other writers that I wanted to include. But in anything like this, of course, you have to be really selective. So, I mean, it was probably maybe less than 1% of the writers that we'd had in the class that actually were featured in the book. But some of them, I mean, they obviously really stood out in the class. And so I felt like they had to be included. But I think that um, in a in a class like this, I I quite often see people for just a few weeks, maybe for a month or so, and then they move on. So they probably would have forgotten about what we were doing in the class when the book came out. So I don't think that they would be disappointed. I mean, their lives had kind of moved on uh, after that. How, how many poems do you think you have collected over the years, more or less, because because of that? Because they are very engaged. They write a lot. You have been teaching for 20 years. I have an absolute mountain of poetry. So what you see in the book is just a, a very small part of it. And I don't know what else will happen with all of this material. Sometimes guys in the class would ask me to... Uh, see if I could find a poem that they'd written a number of years ago and I would do that. So I've got this kind of archive of material and honestly, I'm not quite sure what will happen to it. But I just wanted to write the book so that 
that would be a kind of place where I could collect at least the kind of key experiences of the class because I thought it was really important and so did a lot of other people who were in the class too. And uh, did the opposite happen? Because uh, I, I was asking you before about uh, writers wanting to to uh, to get published. But did it happen to you that maybe a, a student of yours told you, I don't want you to be included in the book because, you know, writing poetry is kind of intimate and one thing is doing it for, 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 for the class with my classmates. Another is having my name uh, out there and for everybody to, to read my, my, my poetry. Yes, that's another good question. And I think that's really important in the situation I was teaching in because some people realize that it's maybe not a good thing for them, for their lives in the future to be associated with a jail writing program, you know. And so if you notice in the book, I'm very careful about the names that I use. And some some of the writers would use uh, pen names. Some of the writers specifically asked me not to use their names most often they would agree to me using their poetry but it was a question of whether or not they wanted to include their names with it so that was one of the issues that I had but for the most part really for the for the vast majority of the writers that I worked with they were proud of what they'd done and They wanted it to be read and they wanted to share their stories with other people. Yeah, and, and, and it is more the pity what you, what you say, that the program has been discontinued. Um, it is uh, it is not known if it is going to, to continue because it, did, it really did make a, a difference to, to the life of the, of the, of the students and, and, and it brought them a, a, lot, a lot of things. Uh, well, I, I don't have any other questions. I don't, I don't know if you want to, to say something as a closing remark. I would like to read a poem, actually, written by please. one of the writers. Yes, please do. <laughs> one of the writers I worked most closely with was Antonio Sanchez Day. He appears often in the book. He was one of the best writers that I've ever worked with. And he helped me a lot with the book in various ways in sort of telling me his view of things and helping me with a lot of the things that I was trying to do in the book. And I'd like to finish with a poem by Antonio. This is called A Poet's Heart. Lines composed on writing paper, comprised of words scribbled on various pieces of paper, scrap paper, court papers, jailhouse request forms, receipts, even napkins, depict the legacy of this wounded heart that despite its constant anguish still pumps life. A heart that beats to the rhythm of Mother Earth's drums, a heart that flashes like lightning across the darkest skies, a heart that burns with desire and does not extinguish in the hardest of rain or strongest of winds. A heart with the insatiable hunger of this starving artist. A heart that was once frozen, that now flows like streams. Into rivers, into oceans, into the sea of life. This heart is the heart of the poet.
Antonio died in um, March last year. He had a lot of health issues. He was only 46 years old. And I am now working on publishing a book of the poems that he left behind. His family asked me to do that. And so I've been working on that for the last year or so. And the book is going to be called I've Been Fighting a War Within Myself, which is a line from one of his poems. And do you have an idea when the book is coming out? Because I know that it depends on publishers and deadlines and the the, the, the process of uh, publishing and everything. But do you have a, an idea or, or not yet? So I just received yesterday from the editor the um, what she's done with the book so far. And I think it will be published early next year. And it looks fantastic. She's done a wonderful job on... Um, on making the book into something that really uh, that really displays his poetry in the best way. So I think early next year it will be published. So wonderful. We will be looking out for, for, for it. So thank you. Thank you very much, Brian, for being here to speak about the book, for reading these, uh, these wonderful points to, to, to us. So thank you very much. And I want to, to remind uh, listeners, this is Words is a Powerful Thing, 20 Years of Teaching Creative Writing at Douglas County Jail, published by the University Press of Kansas. So thank you very much again. Thank you. 